be doers of the word. So let's give a hand to Pastor Casey. We're so grateful for, for what he has done in the EM ministry and truly being such a blessing to us. Thanks, Jerry. It's very encouraging to, to hear someone actually putting the sermon into action. You don't know, to a pastor, that, that just warms our hearts, you know? So I hope you, you are all having a, a great morning, a great week. And so today we are continuing our series on the habits of happiness. Can we pull up the PowerPoint, please? All right. So we're going through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you can take it out. And you also uh, should have a handout. If you don't have a handout, raise your hand and our ushers will get, uh, get you a handout. And if you don't have a pen to take notes with, please raise your hand and he'll, they'll give you a pen to take notes with. Okay. So the book of Philippians, which is, as we know, the most positive, the most joyful book in the Bible, as it uh, repeats the word joy or rejoice 17 different times. And so today's message will be based on chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And the title to today's message is The Humble Path to Happiness. And this is part three out of our nine-part series. All right? So I'm, I'm going to give a bit of introduction to the historical context of chapter 2 of Philippians. And you'll, you'll see that it's directly related to Acts chapter 16. So if you want a deeper study of chapter 2 or just the entire book of Philippians, you got to go back to Acts 16. And Acts 16 acts as a prequel to this narrative. And so back then in Acts 16, uh, years back, there the, the Apostle Paul uh, wanted to go preach the gospel in the province of Asia. All right. But we, we remember that, uh, that the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, prevented Paul from going to Asia. And, and Paul had a dream of someone crying out, come, come to Macedonia, come and help us. Right? It was a vision from God. And so Paul redirected his steps and went to Macedonia. And back then it was a nation. Right? And so Paul and his companions, they went there and they stopped at a very important city. And the city was called Philippi. And in Acts 16, it told the story of Paul uh, bringing three different people to faith in Christ. And the first convert to, to the faith was a lady named Lydia, as I talked about before. And she was this wealthy merchant who sold purple goods. And so you can, uh, we, we can assume that she was a, a wealthy upper class folk, you know, aristocracy, like high society, high class uh, type of person. You know, she knew how to act. She knew how to, how to uh, behave uh, well. She probably liked classical music. Just kidding. It wasn't invented back then. So her whole family, the Bible says, came to faith. Okay. And then the second person that came to faith was this slave girl that was formerly demon-possessed. Well, she was demon-possessed and she was really annoying and Paul got really annoyed with her and casted the demon out of her. And, and so she came to faith, uh, okay? And, and the Bible says she could do fortune telling. But then after she came to faith, she, she couldn't tell the fortune anymore. So people got really mad at Paul, okay? And so we know as a slave girl, she was at the bottom of the social economic class. And then the third convert, there was a prison guard. 
that was guarding Paul and his companions, okay? And him and his family came to faith. And the, this prison guard, well, what, what was he like? He was, you know, if, if we were to put it in today's terminology, he would be this rough, blue-collar, uh, working-class ty- working type of a man. You know, if, if, he, if he was alive today, I would imagine him driving like a, a giant a Ford truck, a F-150 or something, you know, just a real tough guy. You, know, you got to be tough to be a prison guard. You know, you got to put up with all those inmates and control them, right? And so we could see three very different type of people making up the Christian church in Philippi. We got an upper class aristocracy, like business woman merchant type. We, we, we got a blue collar, hard working, tough man type of, you know, t- type of person. And then we got a slave girl at the bottom of the social class. And, and so the Philippian church, it was very diverse, had all types of people. The Philippian church was much more diverse uh, than our church here at EFCI. Here we, we mostly look alike, right? We mostly are in the same social economic class, right? We're very homogeneous, except Uncle Mike. Yay! <laughs> and it goes to show that God wants all types of people in his church, not just one type. Okay. And so, then after Paul preached the gospel in Philippi, we know that he won many souls to Christ. And then Paul traveled to Rome. And that's where he got thrown in jail uh, for, for uh, the ministry of the gospel. And that's where he wrote the letter to the Philippians. And there was probably a two-year gap uh, in between the timeline. Okay? And as we read through the book of Philippians, we could see that Philippians, the, the Philippian church. Now, this was a quality church. It was a very good church. And how do we know that? Well, because Paul had a lot of good things to say about the Philippians. You know, as we know, Paul wrote many letters to many cities, to many churches. And, for example, when he wrote the, the, the letter to the Corinthians, uh, it, there was a lot of rebuke. Hey, guys. You guys are, are really messy. You guys are out of order. You guys are immoral. So, so it was a letter of rebuke almost, you know, rebuke and correction. But when he wrote the letter to the Philippians, it was mostly positive affirmations. All right. In chapter 1, he said things like, I thank my God every time I think of you. Every time I pray for you, it is with joy. And you have been my partners in the gospel ever since the first day ever since we began, you've been my partner. You have been consistent. You have endured hardship, and I long to see you so badly. And I know that you're praying for me, and I, I know that because of your prayers, I'm going to be delivered out of this prison. And you have been so faithful in praying for everyone. And you, 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 all, you always uh, were, were so responsive. You were always obedient to my teachings. Whatever I taught, you put it into practice. You put it into action. You know, and, and so Paul is saying, I love that about you guys. You guys are amazing. Continue to apply what I have taught, what I have taught to you. Continue this high standard of Christian living. All right, that's what he said to the Philippian church. And we also noticed that Paul's letter, in Paul's letter, there was no rebuke for doctrinal deviation. 
you know, to some other churches, he would write, man, there's heretics among you. There's false teachers among you. But to the Philippians, there were no such comments. And so it meant we could assume that they were theologically sound. They were grounded. They were solid in their doctrine and theology. Okay? And there was no rebuke for immorality. So we can assume that they lived an exemplary life. They, they lived in purity. You know? So the Philippian church, they were praised for all their consistency, endurance, and all these great things. Man, what a great church. That's a church I want to visit. You know, we, we talk about, oh, there's a church down the street we want to visit. Well, this is the type of church. And, uh, you know, surrounding cities, they want to visit the Philippian church. Okay. But here's the thing. Despite of all the positive affirmations that Paul just mentioned, Paul pointed out something that was actually severely wrong with the church. And it's, it's like, the, you, know, you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? What is this? Anybody take biology? Uh, yeah, it's a virus. You know, uh, recently there's been a deadly virus going around, right? You've heard about it, and it's been killing a lot of people in America, and, it's been, and Southern California has been hit really hard, and several days ago, um, Vince just showed me that uh, a girl in Tustin just died from the flu virus. And so we know virus can be very deadly, very contagious, right? And, and the virus that Paul is talking about in the church of Philippians is this. It's the virus of disunity. Disunity. In other words, relational conflict, bickering with one another, disharmony, arguing on every matters of the church. You know, I don't know if they argue over the, the, the color of the carpet. They might have, you know, just this unity everywhere. It was causing tension in the church. And this unity was the leading killjoy in the Philippian church, probably because um, all the people, they were so different. As we mentioned, different social economic class, different culture. I don't know if it was different language or not, maybe. They were different in the way they, they think, and, and the way that they operate, you know, obviously, of course, a rich merchant, a boss, would think differently than a slave girl. Of course. Boss and employee, of course they operate differently. They think in different scales. They think in different possibilities, right? And then they would also think differently than a prison guard. But now that they're in the church, they have to work together somehow as equals. Because in Christ, there is, there, there, there's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no boss and employee. In the church, we are all equal. The moment you step in here, we level the playing field. Because we are all sinners when we come in front of the cross. And there's nothing to boast about, right? And so they have to work together as equals, yet they're not. Because they're operating under different worldviews and mindsets. And so as Paul writes chapter 2, he's pleading to the believers for unity, right? So isn't that interesting that a church that has so many good qualities, that they have faithful people, that they're obedient in the word, they're generous, but then they could also fall into the trap of disunity and conflict. So I can't help but think about our own church. I mean, what, what a great example. We have so many wonderful people here. So many faithful servants, generous believers that gave 
to, to the needs of, of the church. And yet the one thing I personally think that we can improve is our church unity. You know, it applies to us in a very close way. And so let's pay, pay close attention to chapter 2. And so we'll dive into our primary text for today. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. You know, I've read this verse probably a hundred times in my life maybe more. Every time I read it, I'm like, I'm like, I understand the individual words, but I don't really understand what it's trying to say. If you have any encouragement from being you, what, what, what does that even mean? All right, and I study, as I study deeper, here's, here is what Paul is trying to say. Paul is saying, look, two years ago, you didn't even know Jesus. You lived in darkness, but now you're saved. You receive all these benefits from being in Christ. And so if you have gotten anything out of following Christ at all, if you've been encouraged and comforted by Jesus, if his love has made any difference in your life, which it has because Paul just lists them all, if being in this uh, common sharing in the Spirit, it means if you found any benefit in being in this community, in this church community, if you value your friendships of your brothers and sisters here, if you have a heart, if you care at all, then do me a favor, guys. Do me a favor. Agree with each other. Don't fight with each other. Love one another. Be genuine friends with each other. Be united in your mind. Be united in your heart. Paul's saying, please, please, guys, I beg of you. Oh, he wasn't Chinese, so he wouldn't do this. Okay. So Paul just explained that this motivation factor for desiring unity. Do we want unity for unity's sake? Not really. But it has to be for a greater purpose. And and Paul just explained the motivation. Why do we want unity? Because Jesus has done so much for you. Stop your conflicts and be united. If you do this, Paul says, you will make my joy complete. I'll be very happy if you do this. And so like the Philippian church, a huge killjoy in our own lives is relational conflict. Wouldn't you agree? I would say that would be probably the single most, uh, the, the biggest factor that kills our joy in our life is relational conflict. We all have them. And if we learn to live in unity with each other, we will have more joy. And Paul is saying the secret to unity, the secret to ridding all of the conflict in our life is through what? It's through humility, living a humble life. And that is the key to unity. Because verse 3 says, in humility, value others 
above yourself. So easy to say, so hard to do. How do we even do that? How do we value others above ourselves? Okay, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. Well, the opposite of that is also true. If we are filled with pride, thinking that we have to be right all the time, thinking that I deserve the best, thinking that I have my rights to, to demand the things that I want, then what's going to happen? Then we're going to be inviting conflict into our lives. We'll invite conflict into our lives because pride will make you super selfish. It will make you arrogant. And pride is the ultimate destructive force in a person's life. Pride will destroy us if we let it incubate in our hearts. And sometimes we don't even know it. We don't even know it. It's just, it's just by default. Okay? By default, we can be that way. And as believers, we, we often experience uh, this, this picture here. There, there's always a tug of war in our heart. You know, this humility is in the shape of a heart and the pride is in the shape of a brain. You know, we, we struggle back and forth between humility and pride, struggle back and forth between our, our hearts and our brain. Sometimes we are humble. Sometimes we are prideful. We're not humble 100% of the time, and we're not prideful 100% of the time. Oftentimes it's a mix. It's a tug of war. Okay? Well, Paul says in verse 2 that there's four kinds of unity, and this is where you get to fill in your blanks. I know some of you like to do that. Makes you feel like you're in school. Just kidding, okay? There are the four kinds of unity or intimacy that God wants in your marriage, in your household. The four kinds of unity that God wants us to have in every true relationship, every loving and sincere relationship. God says, I want you to have the same mind in verse 2. Well, what does that mean? That means mental unity. You're united in your thinking. He says, I want you to share in the same love. Well, that's emotional unity. And he says, I want you to be united in spirit. Well, that is spiritual unity. And he says, I want you to be intent in one purpose, in one purpose. And that's directional unity. Uh, What this means is we're heading towards the same direction. It's not like I'm going this way and you're going that way. Then you know what? Then we're going to go on our own ways and be separated. You know, can you imagine, for those of us who are married in here, can you imagine if you have 